You're listening to episode number 49 of the Self-Care Sunday podcast, a minimalist media project by Kaylee Reed. Every Sunday, only on Sundays, I'll release a new podcast episode exploring topics like mental health, entrepreneurship, creativity, and of course, self-care. Today's episode is an interview with my guest, Austin Tassone, who is a fashion writer, editor, and blogger living in New York City. Her career in fashion includes being an editor at Nylon and Interview, and after experiencing industry layoffs twice, she fell into freelancing, a blessing in disguise. Austin is now a full-time content creator, and in addition to running her blog, Keep Calm and Chiffon, she also writes for publications like Refinery29, Fashionista, Bustle, and more. In this episode, I ask Austin how she got the dream career that she has, what it was like being laid off and how that affected her mental health, and her advice for up-and-coming influencers, creators, and anybody who wants to work in the fashion world, how to make your dreams a reality. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I was just saying before we started recording how I feel like I already know you because I've been following you on Instagram for a while. I watch your YouTube videos and now I'm realizing this is the first conversation we've actually ever had, but I feel like I know you. So I think that's a good thing. Yeah. It's so bizarre because again, I like watch your stories too. And I feel like I'm so familiar with like your personality and all the different things that, you know, you're working on. And it's just so amusing to me that this is actually, yeah, the first conversation that we've had. And thank you for having me on the podcast. Yeah, of course. And I am genuinely really excited about this interview because you kind of have the dream life that I almost had and that I wanted for so long when I was growing up. Um, Something I don't really talk about that much is that when I graduated from my undergrad degree, I was like this close to doing my master's in fashion at the new school in New York and got accepted, was like planning where I was going to live, everything. And then things just like took a total turn and I didn't end up moving. But I always had this vision of being a fashion editor. And I think like so many young women dream of that growing up. So I just am so curious how you got to where you are and what your journey has looked like. So like, where did you grow up? What did you study in university? Definitely. So yeah, I am from a small town in New Jersey, and it's probably like on a good traffic day, 30 minute drive, you know, right into Manhattan, which I think definitely always influenced me when I was younger. I always kind of pictured growing up and like moving to New York. And this was always kind of my end destination in my head because I had been in the shadow of it almost for so long. And When I was younger, I was definitely, I was really into acting. I remember like in my teenage years, I would always love participating in like the musicals and the school plays. And I think that was just an extension of my love of storytelling, which I feel I've always had. Um, And there were certainly, you know, cultural influences that led me to want to work in fashion and at magazines like The Devil Wears Prada, for example. Um, And then there were also personal ones, like the fact that my mom was actually a magazine editor. Um, That was her whole career before she like became my mom full time. And, you know, I always... Yeah, like, so I always kind of looked up to her, but I just, I guess I didn't fully picture myself in that role until I realized that, you know, by having a more like a fashion focus or more of like, eventually later on to a beauty focus, like then I could really see how I could tell stories like about 
those two things. And it's funny you ask like what I studied in school. So I started out at Muhlenberg College, which is a small liberal arts college in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And I was a theater major there. Like that was kind of my driving um, decision to attend the school was that they had a great theater program. And, you know, after a year there, I felt like I had kind of exhausted like most of the resources there. It was a really small school. You get to know everyone very quickly. Um, and I actually found more of an interest in my art history classes than my theater classes. So I ended up transferring to Barnard here in um, New York and I studied art history there, which was great because, you know, at Muhlenberg, we did have an art history field trip to the Met Museum, but it took like two and a half hours to drive there from Eastern Pennsylvania. And it was like a 20 minute bus ride from my college. So that was really exciting. And I feel like being able to study art history actually really did reinforce how I was able to write about not just art, but then also fashion. And I had started my blog before I even went to college in 2012. And once I started, you know, writing the way I was writing for papers in school, and then also once I added on my internships that I was able to do um, throughout my time in college as well, it really started to refine my writing style a bit more. And I felt like I was really able to develop my voice. So cool. So you mentioned internships. Uh, were your internships fashion related, art related? Yeah, so they were all fashion and then editorial related. Um, I had six internships and only one of them was paid. <laughs> so lots of uh, unpaid labor for anyone out there who's ever done an unpaid internship and can relate. So the first internship I had was with a designer in the garment district. So, you know, hands on in the middle of Manhattan running back and forth between the factories and the fabric stores and trying to assist on castings and do their social media back when interns did social media <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff. And then I had an internship with College Fashionista online, which was really fun. I just went around my campus and took street style photos of people. And then the rest of my internships were all at both print and digital publications. So I did print internships at Marie Claire and Nylon. Um, and then I did online internships with Cosmopolitan.com and NewYorkMagazine.com. Um, New York Magazine was the one that paid me, as I'm sure you can guess. And yeah, it was just so amazing to actually like finally be in the thick of, you know, what I had been so curious about and what I had been hearing about or picturing what it would actually be like to work at a magazine. And I mean, I loved it. There were some nights where I left like super late or, you know, where there was a lot going on that was more of the mundane kind of tracking pieces coming in and out of the closet or fact checking a story before it went up. But even like the most boring tasks, I still found interesting and cool. What are your thoughts on internships and particularly unpaid internships now that you're out of that scene? Because I feel like the industry has been changing so much and there's so much more awareness now about like emotional labor and unpaid labor and whether or not it's appropriate to ask young people to work for free. I think fashion is one of the only industries that really gets away with it a lot. And I understand why, because it's so competitive and there's a lot of experience that you need to have in order to get some of the positions that you want. But have your views on internships changed since going through them? Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's good and bad sides of unpaid internships. And just to like add on to what I was saying about my unpaid internships, um, I worked in retail at Free People for two and a half years while I was at Barnard. Um, and then I was only able to quit when 
I got my New York Magazine internship that basically paid, you know, the same amount. So I definitely recommend, like, if you do want to take on some kind of unpaid internship, like, don't be afraid to, you know, if they recommend, like, oh, two to four days a week, like, say you'll do two days a week at the internship and take the other two days a week and get a part-time retail job because I totally understand the need to make money. And as much as unpaid internships can provide you with that experience and those connections, you, you, at the end of the day, you have to eat food. You have to be able to get to and from. And, um, Barnard also had an alumni, um, I think it was like an alumni scholarship program one summer. So the summer that I was interning at Cosmopolitan, I received like a $2,000 stipend for the summer, which helped cover my housing. And then, you know, I used it towards like transportation and meals while I was at the internship also. So I think there are ways to make unpaid internships work, but even for me personally, I joke all the time, like I would love to have an intern, but really what I would love to have (laughs) is like an assistant who I can actually pay, you know, one or two days a week. And I'm not at that point yet where I can hire out help, but it's definitely something that I hope to do eventually. And that's on my radar. Yeah. Did your internships directly lead to any of your jobs later or what was your first like actual paying job outside of the internships? Yeah. So Um, when I was, you know, in my, the middle of my last semester at college, I was starting to think, okay, I'm graduating a couple months. Like I don't want to necessarily just be sending out resumes in May. So, um, one tip that I learned from my dad was, you know, to find your network and then establish a relationship with them before you need to ask something from them. So what I did was reach out in mid-March and just say to former supervisors and stuff, hey, like, would love to catch up. Like, I'm graduating in May. I would love to hear, you know, more about your experience, any advice you might have for me. And, you know, when I was having those coffees, I could mention, like, hey, if you could keep an ear out. And then if May had come and I hadn't heard anything, I could follow up and say, hey, like, it was great catching up. And I just wanted to check in and see if you've heard of anything. I'm really glad that I did that because one of the people that I ended up getting coffee with was my supervisor from when I was at Nylon. And as soon as I asked her, I emailed her and asked her about coffee, she wrote back and was like, actually, we're hiring an editorial assistant position. Like, would you be interested? And I literally fell out of my chair because like, oh my god, being an editorial assistant at Nylon, (laughs) like, are you kidding me? Of course I was interested. And so we had a couple of rounds of interviews. I did an edit test, which is very common for, you know, magazine jobs, Um, basically like coming up with sample pitches, maybe even writing out a sample article or two, um, just to kind of get an idea if your style would fit in. And thankfully, you know, since I had interned there, they were familiar with my work. And I, yeah, I got the job and I was floored. Like I was ecstatic. I was like, this is what I've always wanted in some ways. And so I was able to start like pretty much right after graduation. I had a couple weeks in between. And then uh, after six months or maybe seven months, I was promoted to assistant editor, which again was another like (laughs) short of breath kind of moment, you know? You talk really freely about being laid off and the changes that the magazine and the media industries are going through and have been going through kind of drastically over the past few years. Tell us about what it was like working at Nylon and then the changes that you saw while you were there leading to the layoffs. For sure. So, I mean, working at Nylon was definitely my dream job, like in the shortest possible explanation of it. I mean, I got to, you know, take ownership of certain sections of the magazine, primarily fashion news and art. 
um, were the ones that I kind of had ownership of. So helping plan out what stories we wanted to do, being in touch with PR contacts at, you know, galleries or fashion brands or all of that kind of stuff and piecing together what the magazine would actually look like. And one thing that I always loved about Nylon just from reading it for a decade before I even worked there was how visually appealing it is. I loved that there were always like doodles on the page. I loved how creative it felt. It almost felt like reading a good friend's like cool scrapbook or diary or something like that, um, that I always appreciated about it kind of from a design perspective. And so that's what really always drew me to nylon was not fully like the brand, but really holding that magazine and the stories that were in it. Cause it was just so different from every other women's publication that I, you know, that I still loved and enjoyed, but I really just felt much more of a deeper connection to it because they would have interviews with, you know, artists who had like multicolored hair or like girl skateboarders or really cool female chefs that like were just really breaking the mold. And I always appreciated their willingness, willingness to include, you know, a diverse range of people in their magazine. And I definitely did notice, you know, a shift primarily the fact that I was actually contributing to the website, almost more stories than I ended up writing for the print magazine. Um, Nylon was a super small team and it still is. And, you know, being able to, during fashion week, write a story about here's how 10 designers are preparing and, you know, reach out to these PR people and get quotes from their designers and put together stories like that. Or even, um, a story that I wrote, like the emotional stages of a breakup as told by your outfit and like five different outfits for, each stage of the breakup, you know, stuff that maybe there wasn't room for or a fit for on the pages of the magazine, we were able to expand on those ideas for the website. Um, And I was also responsible for putting all of our in-book stories online. So, you know, making little adjustments to how the images were, like making them a slideshow rather than, you know, the magazine, they're much more spaced out. So I always felt like there was a decently fluid relationship between print and digital, um, primarily just because I was kind of the point of contact of how that all came together. But yeah, there were definitely things that, you know, we were like working on a website redesign. um, And I even participated in, I guess, one of my first like influencer projects at Nylon, which was a digital campaign that they did with Victoria's Secret Pink. So we had like a whole video shoot and I posted like an ad post on my page. Um, which I was not compensated extra for, but I should have been. And I would have, I would have brought that up now looking back. So there was definitely, and you know, they also work with Socialite, which is an influencer casting agency. So there was definitely a feel of like a shift towards prioritizing digital a little bit more. But when I found out the magazine was folding, which was in the middle of fashion week, I was totally blindsided by it because as much as I felt the digital side of the business was booming, we had been like made to believe that the print was as well. So we had just hired on a couple of new editors, like maybe two months before this happened. And then we were planning on relaunching Nylon Guys as a quarterly publication for 2018. Like everything that I had heard about, oh, Prince dying, this and that, I just didn't believe it. And so I think, unfortunately, that made it that much harder and made me feel that much more blindsided when the magazine did fold because I just had no idea that it was coming. Um, Interview was a totally different story. Interview, like the writing was on the wall. Like I have a text that I sent to my boyfriend that was like, I'm getting laid off tomorrow. Like this magazine is folding. Um, If anyone wants to be filled in on that, you can just Google interview magazine and page six and I will let you read for yourself, you know, (laughs) through the eviction and the lawsuits and all of that kind of stuff. 
So that was a little bit more apparent to me. I kind of learned to like look for more of those red flags and be prepared to get laid off a second time. But I mean, both were hard and both were still just, you know, that's not the way you want to leave a job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And especially when it's your dream career, as you said, like that would be so difficult to go through and to go through twice and just being laid off in general sucks. Definitely. (laughs) So what was that process like? Like, did it affect your mental health being laid off? And what did you learn about yourself in that time? Yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, like, I really am a very positive person. And I always try to like, put that spin on things. Um, And I definitely felt more so like, I knew what I kind of wanted to do coming out of interview, but nylon folding was really hard for me. Like, not only was it you know, my dream job at my dream magazine, but it was also the loss of something that had been kind of a constant factor in my life for probably almost 10 years, like growing up. And I just, it was in the middle of fashion week and I just spent the whole night after it happened crying. (laughs) And I got up the next day and just took a whole day off. And as much as I like wanted to just jump back into fashion week and do my networking and do my normal like Austin thing that I like doing, I just knew I really needed that day to do nothing and process it. And that's one thing that I've learned a lot over the last two years is whenever I'm feeling a certain way, I have to let myself feel that feeling fully (laughs) so that I can then get over it. Because if I keep it kind of under the surface, I've noticed that it can negatively impact the rest of what's going on with me, even if, you know, it's been months since it happened, like I would always rather address it head on and like when it happens. And I think that that's something that helped me not get too discouraged right after like Nile unfolded. And then the other thing that made me not that discouraged was that I got the interview job like almost two weeks to the date after Nile unfolded. Like it was just really good luck and timing. And someone from Nylon happened to have a connection at interview. They happened to be hiring for my same position and I happened to be looking for another full-time job. So it was an extremely good case of good timing and luck. And obviously, I guess also the fact that I was qualified to do the job. But yeah, there definitely have been, you know, points where I feel like I'm much more aware of my mental health. And I'm much more aware of trying to, you know, take care of myself and like check in with myself and make sure that I'm not like hiding anything just for the sake of wanting to be productive and plowing through what I have to do because I love being productive. I love being busy. I love feeding off the vibes of being in New York, but at the end of the day, I still need to be feeling good and doing well in order to even make any of that work happen. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that self-awareness is um, such a great asset as a freelancer because you are so much more so in control of your day-to-day and that also means you're spending a lot more time with yourself and having to be aware of your own emotions and productivity levels and all of that and you kind of fell into freelancing almost out of necessity after interview Mm -hmm. so what does your life look like now compared to this time last year yeah so It's so true. And I feel like I was actually just looking at like my income from, you know, last year and then the beginning of this year because taxes. (laughs) And I realized actually that I have almost like in these first three months of 2019, I've almost hit what I made in the last six months of 2018. Like I've almost been able to hit that number in like 
half the amount of time. So that was really exciting for me because obviously living in New York is expensive and you have to prioritize like, how am I going to be able to not just pay rent, but like just be able to live and not stress out about like the basic things. Um, and so obviously like the biggest difference for freelancing versus having the job is having that salary. But I've noticed that now, whereas in the beginning I was kind of taking just these one-off assignments that, you know, like paid like a nice chunk of change, but weren't anything like really consistent or like important, I guess, just in terms of more long-term, you know, revenue and more consistent clients and things like that. And I think now I'm much more intentional with the assignments that I take on. And I really want to make sure that anything I'm taking on, it's like, will this be a good use of my time? Like, is this money worth the time that I spend on it? Because there are some sites that I write for or some sites I've written for that I like writing the story, but when I think about how much time it actually does take me and then what the compensation is in exchange, you know, I just know that maybe this month, if it's a little slower, I can take on something like that. But if I'm a little bit busier, then that's not something I can prioritize at the time. And, you know, every publication is different and has different rates and you're able to like negotiate that a little bit more. Like I'm definitely so much more comfortable now negotiating or speaking up if I think like, you know, the amount that's offered to me, like, isn't exactly in line with what I would normally charge. I've definitely become a lot more confident about speaking up about that earlier on and being upfront with rates because it's just like something that used to scare me a lot, truthfully. And, you know, doing this by myself, like I don't have like a business team who's negotiating stuff for me. It's all me. And so it's been really interesting to kind of see how all of that shifts and change. But I would say the biggest thing is definitely fewer like one-off sporadic assignments and more like intentional work and looking for ways to build consistently and take someone who I've already worked for and continue to grow them. Like that's the business school 101, right? It's much easier to keep an existing client and much more cost-effective than to go out and find a new client. Yeah. You talked briefly about, um, negotiating. Mm -hmm. And I find this topic so interesting in the influencer world because as micro-influencers, that whole space grows. We see more and more people um, taking to this route, wanting to be full-time content creators, asking for advice on pricing, negotiation, what's okay to accept from a brand, what's not. And the influencer space has been changing so quickly that I feel like rules are kind of constantly changing and standards and expectations are constantly changing. Mm -hmm. What I find really um, interesting about you is that you've been doing this for so long. Like you started your blog in 2012. And I think a lot of people that are just getting into the quote unquote influencer space who are, you know, on Instagram or maybe just started their blog are thinking like, oh, I really want to partner with brands. Oh, I really want to be charging X, Y, and Z. Um, and maybe feel frustrated that it's not happening right away or frustrated that they're not getting the paid gigs that they see other people getting. What's your advice to people that are kind of just starting out in this space now? Yeah, I mean, as you said, it really, it does take time. And I noticed that, I mean, like I just hit 10,000 followers on Instagram in December and I have had an Instagram account since 2012, right? So that's been seven years basically in the making. And obviously, as you know, like with real followers versus fake followers, like 
I want like real people who actually care about what I have to say to be the ones who are following me. And I'd rather have five like people who are just diehard. Like, yes, I get you. I get what you're saying. I get what you want to do. than 50,000 people who are like, meh, could click on it, could scroll past it. Don't really know. Like it's, it's a no brainer. And I think, and I hope more brands are starting to realize that. But I think for me, like, what's helpful for me when I pitch a brand is really just focusing again on the things that set me apart. I mean, I drive home to every single brand that, you know, I'm talking about partnering with in some kind of way that like I treat a photo shoot for my blog the same way I treated a photo shoot at Nylon. Like I will do my best to go on Pinterest and look for inspiration images and kind of create like a little mood board for myself. Like you know, whether or not I actually share it with the brand kind of depends on the situation. But I also will location scout or like make a list of places where I think would be good to do something or I'll try a bunch of different angles. And, you know, if something doesn't come out the way I want to, like, I'll reshoot it. Like, I'll tell you for a campaign that you and I worked on together, our brush campaign, like the first photos I took, they were okay, but they weren't like fully what I wanted. Like, it just felt a little unnatural or something was wrong with it. I think it was the original outfit that I had. So I had no problem the next day blocking off another chunk of time to reshoot that and make sure that it's something that feels like it fits into my feed and feels natural. And I and I was like, so excited to see the comments that were like, I've been wanting a new toothbrush. Like, that's so funny you said that. And that's how I that's how I want all of the reactions to be. And that's how I want all of my partnerships to be. And I say no way more than I say yes. I mean, I get emails every day that offer offer like, you know, gifting or like even compensation, but for something that just doesn't really fit into what I'm doing, like maybe it's for food or something. And like, I don't know, I've written a couple of blog posts about food, but it's not something that I would consider a priority for me at this point. So really focusing more on fashion and beauty and then kind of lifestyle, I guess, as an extension of that. But it's really interesting. And, it, you know, it's funny how your priorities change over time. And I, I remember the first time I ever did like a quote unquote partnership with someone, the partnership was I got a 10% discount from her website. And it was, it was an online vintage store. And, you know, she found these crazy cool vintage Levi's and dyed them like bright colors. And I was like, oh my God, like this person wants to work with me. Like they want me to take photos of their product for my website. And then the first fully paid campaign that I had um, when I was in college, ASOS was looking to work with, you know, college influencers to promote their student discount. And I remember they were like, okay, so you can pick two to three items and then we'll compensate you this much money. And I was like, wait, you're sending me clothes and you're going to pay me. It was, it was a mind blown moment for me. And I think that I always try to remember, like, does this excite me as much as like that first feeling did? Or will this be something that in six months, I'm going to look back at and be like, Oh, why did I do that? So I think the advice is just to stay true to like your mission and your message and trust what you think is going to work well. And also just to be patient, like don't be afraid to email a brand person. Like if you live in the same city as someone you want to work with and say, can we get coffee? And then in three months, you know, say, Hey, are you casting any campaigns that you have coming up? I would love to send you my media kit and see if I could be a fit. Like these things take time. And I wish that, you know, there was a better way to understand that or explain it, but that's just the truth. It is so true that these things take time and patience is so key. 
something that's really admirable about you is that you are balancing so much and you are a one woman show. (laughs) So what are your tips for time management and self-care as not only a freelancer and writer, but a blogger and influencer? Totally. So it's funny because, you know, when people ask me what I do, it's one of those situations where I do introduce myself and just say, you know, if I just want to say one thing, I say, oh, I'm a content creator, because that does kind of cover all the bases. But if I'm asked to get into more detail, I'll say, you know, I am kind of half and half like a freelance writer, editor, and then copywriter. Um, I've been doing a lot more copywriting for brands. So like their product descriptions, their email marketing, and that's definitely something I'd like to explore more this year. And then the other half is, you know, my blog and my YouTube channel, which I would say even though the time is a 50-50 split, the income is much more like 75-25, the 25% being the blog and then the 75% being the writing and editing. So in some ways it is almost still like I have a day job, quote unquote, and my blog is still kind of the thing that it's like my passion project. It's like maybe I don't generate as much revenue from it as I do from the freelance writing and editing, but I still do generate some and it's something that I still see as worth putting my time into. Um, so I've had, you know, it's been about 10 months now since I've been full-time freelance and I have tried so many different things in terms of how to schedule. And I think the fun thing about being freelance is that I am able to test out so many different things and see what works for me. Um, So for example, last week I tried batching for the first time, um, which is something I heard about from Julie Solomon from the Influencer Podcast. And what I did was, you know, Monday was like my filming day. So I filmed four videos for YouTube and Instagram, and then I shot an outfit. So it was all just like shooting. Tuesday was all my meetings and phone calls. Wednesday was writing and then editing videos. So writing blog posts or working on freelance stories. I think I had like one for fashionista that I was wrapping up. Thursday was all like emails, any administrative tasks or errands. And then Friday was personal projects and collaborations. So um, it was really fun to kind of split up my time that way because I didn't necessarily feel pressured, you know, while I was shooting all day Monday to be checking my email every five seconds. It was like, okay, today is my shooting day and I'll go through at the end of the day, see if there was anything urgent but I don't feel pressure to be sitting at my Gmail hitting refresh, 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 just to see what's coming in. And then anything that required like more of my long form attention, I guess I could do on Thursday. So if there was, you know, a proposal I had to send back to someone or a contract to review or whatever it is, like that's something that I would really take the time unless it was more urgent, of course, to like look at on Thursday. And so that's been really fun for me. And I definitely hope to implement that um, again, like throughout the next couple of months. But the other thing is just finding like those little pieces of routine in your life. So I always, my alarm is set for 745 every day. Like that's when I get up, no matter if the first thing I have to do is at 2 p.m. or like 9 a.m. So I like having kind of a consistent wake up time. I feel like my body has an internal clock at this point. And then even like little things like, Throughout the winter, my boyfriend and I have been watching like Man in the High Castle. And so he would like come over on Friday night, we would order pizza and it felt like Friday night because sometimes, sometimes it's easy to lose track of the days, but it was just a nice reminder like, all right, it's Friday night, it's the weekend. Like, even if I'm going to a coffee shop tomorrow morning, I deserve tonight to like just chill and just relax kind of thing. And I think like, I mean, Andrew is obviously a great person for all of that because whenever I'm with him, I feel like, 
you know, I'm not on my phone. I really am just focused on like hanging out with him and I feel much more in the moment and much less pressure to like reply to every single Instagram comment. Like he's someone who definitely keeps me in check and keeps me grounded and much more in the moment. So, and like, I have so many friends who do that for me as well. And really surrounding myself with those people is so good. Like, even if it's a reminder, like, oh, let's get drinks after work or like, oh, let's get coffee before your day starts, you know? those kind of interactions are really important, especially during the winter. I experienced my first like true week where I felt like really lonely and I'm an only child. I like really enjoy being by myself. I'm a good solo worker, but a couple of days had gone by where I was like, I have not seen a single soul. I know <laughs> like it was cold. It had snowed. I had barely left the apartment. And so I was just like, wow, like this is just a good reminder. Like, every day there should be something that I'm like looking forward to, or I should have like a 10 minute text exchange with someone who can like cheer me on or like someone who I feel like, you know, will make me feel good. And I think those little things to sprinkle throughout my day are really important to me. And that's what I am definitely trying to like work into my routine more. So what's next for you? Uh, it sounds like you're really enjoying your freelance journey and kind of growing your influence and your presence online. Do you miss working directly for a bigger fashion or media company? Is that something that you want to do again? Or is that like an end goal for the future? Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting just to think about what I wanted two years ago compared to what I want now. And it's one of those things where at this point, I think the biggest thing about freelancing is it has made me so open to everything and like every possibility. Um, you know, someone who I know here in New York, um, Christy Dash, who works at Instagram, like she was working at um, Lucky and then Allure. And then she was actually freelance for a long time. And then Instagram offered her this like beauty partnerships role. And she was like, you know, I was freelancing and like, but then Instagram like wanted me to work there. So I was like, yes, Instagram. And I think, you know, that could be a possibility for me. But truthfully, right now, like I just so appreciate the freedom that comes with the freelance life. And the fact that like, you know, not that having bylines, bylines at nylon and interview wasn't a dream come true, because it totally was. But in addition to that, in the last year, I have checked off so many other dream publications that I wanted to write for, which I wouldn't have written for when I was on staff, you know, at another publication. And so the fact that I can, you know, just say bylines like, oh yeah, Bustle, The Zoo Report, Insider, Fashionista, Leofficiel, Models.com, like the fact that I've already gotten to write for those places and I'm still so early on in my career, like it sounds like the byline, it sounds like the bio of someone who has 10 more years of experience than I do. And so in that way, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be able to do stuff like that. And then on the other side of it, I'm also just so grateful for opportunities that have come up that I wasn't even like expecting in a sense. So one of the companies I work with here in New York is Social Sunday. And I'm sure you've seen me like wear their t-shirts before. But mm -hmm, they, yeah. Yeah. So they're a Brooklyn based woman owned brand. And when I first like got laid off, um, the founder who I had been in touch with, like from college, she had sent me, you know, gifted me a t-shirt to wear in college. And I took photos and stuff for Instagram. And we had kind of just like stayed in touch following each other. 
And she asked if I wanted to get coffee and kind of like just meet up and catch up, which is one of my favorite things to do. I love when people DM me and are like, do you want to like get coffee and talk about our lives? It's like, yes, of (laughs) course. So we were chatting and it turned out that someone who had been helping her with the blog editing had literally just left. And so to me, this was like, oh, I mean, I can come in and help with your blog editing. Like I'm freelance now. So it would be nice to have something to do and something that I feel like I can take ownership of. And since I initially joined on, like just editing the blog, I've also taken over, you know, some of the email marketing copy and product descriptions. And so I'm now essentially also their copywriter. And that is something that I think is such a marketable skill for writers and anyone who feels discouraged if they've been applying to jobs in editorial or has been laid off from a magazine like me. There are still so many ways to be creative with writing and you can do it for brands. Like you could do it to help them tell a story because to me, Nylon was still a brand interview was still a brand and the stories that we wrote were like a reflection of that brand. But this is an opportunity to work really directly with one kind of company and help them establish their voice and make sure that that comes through in everything they do, whether it's sending out a sales email or, you know, coming up with like copy for Instagram story slides that come up and, I'm really definitely want to do more stuff like that. And I'm grateful to like have the opportunity to dive in more deeply to one brand again. Um, I think it's really fun. And I think it's something that, again, like I said, has become such a more marketable skill. And like everything I've done in the last year, whether it's like, you know, styling videos on Instagram or doing more product descriptions, like I have a couple brands that I do product descriptions for. And even just like learning more of the e-commerce aspect from my end and like figuring out what sells well through reward style and what doesn't like, those are the skills that I feel like, you know, in a lot of ways I've taught myself. Um, there's not really a need for me to know, like, you know, the process of how to edit and how the edit cycle goes where it's like, Oh, like first you put it on the page and then an editor checks it out and then it goes back to the design and then they input the changes and then the editor in chief reads it. Like, it's kind of weird how there are just some things that like my brain is always going to remember from muscle memory, but the things that are actually going to be the most relevant going forward are more along those lines. And I definitely am glad that it's expanded my skill set in that way, because I think that puts me at an advantage to someone who has maybe just had a strictly editorial background. Um, So before we wrap, I want to get your advice for listeners because As we've heard throughout this episode, you have established such an amazing career for yourself and have written for so many amazing publications, have gotten all this great experience, which I think is a testament to your work ethic and your skill sets, um, but at such a young age. So what's your advice for listeners who might be struggling with imposter syndrome if they're just breaking into industry? Oh, man. I mean... I still occasionally struggle with imposter syndrome too. Like I feel like it's one of those things that never fully goes away. Like in the back of your mind, you might still be thinking like, you know, what if I'm not good enough? What if they don't like my work? And I feel like the only thing that can really shut that off is believing in like your own brilliance and saying, I charge this rate because I know that I'm going to put the best possible work forward for this brand. And I think that I'm worth it. And you know, like I had a breakdown, like probably semi recently where I was just like, Oh my God, like what if I'm like a fraud? And, you know, 
It's just because I need to be able to, like I said earlier, kind of attack that emotion head on, realize like you're clearly overreacting here. This is not true. You might be feeling this way, but you have to understand that no one actually thinks that except for you. And I think being able to like step outside of yourself for a minute and look at it and think about it in the way that like if a friend came to you and said that, what would you say to them? Like to kind of put yourself in someone else's shoes and just say like, Austin, everything is fine. Like, look at what you've done. Look at how far you've made it. And look at what you've accomplished even in the last like three months to a year. Like you're clearly on the right track and you're doing great. And you just have to like keep that message going forward. And I think the other thing is, you know, even though I never like made it past like an assistant editor title at a magazine, I do still consider myself like kind of an industry expert in magazines and editorial content because like I have the skill set to back it up. Like the thing about there's no one who can judge you on like how expert you are on something. But if I say like, you know, I've pitched stories that have been published in these kind of publications and I have worked on staff at these publications and I've seen how, you know, we want to develop a brand or like push a new issue or make a product. And all of those things do make me an expert in that field, which I think is really important and something that people are scared to say. But it just means that you're someone who really knows their stuff and that you're not afraid to provide quotes about it or give someone else advice on it. And I think that, you know, it's so easy to fall into these labels that seem like predetermined where it's like, am I like not senior enough? Am I not this? Am I not that? And at the end of the day, like you just have to trust that like your work is good and that people want to work with you because they want to work with you like they want your experience and your skill set and that's that's valuable you just heard from austin tassone who is a fashion editor and content creator in new york city you can follow her on her blog keep calm and chiffon.com or find her on instagram at austin tassone you can also find her on youtube under the same name and if you're not already following Self-Care Sunday, find us on Instagram at Self-Care Sunday for weekly inspiration. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you leave a rating and review, it helps the show get discovered by new people and helps us bring on new amazing guests. Thanks so much, everyone, and happy Self-Care Sunday. Mm-hmm.